To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome, everyone, to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know that song. You know this voice. It's your boy, Rook. Joining me, as always, is the co-hostess with the mostess. It's Mr. Don Moore. Hello. I never thought of myself as a hostess, but thank you. <laughs> Listen, I had to make a rhyme, dude, okay? <laughs> Joining us today is an absolutely wild book, creator from Wild Book, Frankenstein Unconquered. Everybody, welcome to the show, Dalton Shannon. Hey, guys. How's it going? Man, 72 hours funded, ready to rock. Um, <laughs> I had a little bit of misunderstanding. This is not uh, the first. You're doing one and two on this, but this is actually part two of this book. You guys already did one. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's always good to include issue one in the campaign for all the follow-ups. We don't want anybody missing out yeah. or feeling like they can't uh, can't jump in with this issue. We always like to make sure to offer that first chapter. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, looking into what this story contains, there's a lot happening here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah. Let, let's talk about this concept. You yeah. The Frankenstein idea... And you threw him into the apocalypse? Uh, more or less. It, it's it's more... Uh, we like to think of it more of uh, Conan the Barbarian world. We took Frank and made him Conan. Uh, mm. It just so happened that a uh, we wanted it to be a sequel to uh, Shelley's novel. And the only way Barbarian Conan made sense after Shelley's novel was in a bombed out wasteland apocalypse. So uh, we, you know, we took some some uh, some liberties there and just put him in a post apocalypse uh, with a giant sword, and it's been working out pretty well so far. And, wow. Yeah. And... No, I would. Uh, <laughs> it's got my <laughs> mind reeling. Um, I understand we've only seen the Kickstarter pages and stuff that's online. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't read it, but I, I was impressed with the artwork I saw. I could see where it would be a. A barbarian style but nevertheless you still caught me um, <laughs> I guess my my question of God is is the monster dealing with who he is in this world as he was in the novel or is it is he thriving um, yes and no um, so it is the same character from the novel uh, he's uh, so all of that uh, that soul searching that that victimhood that the monster yeah. had in that novel is you know, it, it all happened. It's still a part of who he is. But uh, we we kind of wanted to take that character and kind of explore some things that maybe Shelley's novel didn't uh, either touch on or maybe didn't touch on uh, much to begin with, um, like like. Uh, the kind of toxic inherited traits that the monster gets from his father, that kind of uh, stilted ideal of uh, 
masculinity and uh, meeting every threat with violence and how that ends up pretty much just corrupting uh, the monster. I mean, the dude's like three, like, has the mind of a three year old when he wakes up, and then uh, his dad says, Get out of here, you're ugly. And then he grows into a, a vicious poet, and uh, like that, that has to have some sort of effect on a man. Yeah. And uh, so he takes all that into the ice with him at the end of the novel. And when he comes out of the ice 500 years in the future, uh, he gets a chance to really kind of see a world that uh, he could actually kind of thrive in. Like, the world's pretty much as ugly as he is at this point. Uh, but, you know, things... Man hasn't changed. And uh, instead of trying to forge a new life, uh, his first response is violence. And, uh, well, that that pisses off all the wrong kinds of people. And... Uh, Frank basically starts thriving in a post-apocalypse world as like a, a king. Like he, he cracks continents, he slays monsters, uh, he pretty much destroys anything in his path, and uh, eventually that gets him exiled into space. And so our book opens with him coming back from space to exact revenge on those who, who did that. And uh, so now we're on a great barbarian revenge quest where uh, Frank has taken those... Uh, character traits that were birthed in the novel and they've kind of solidified like a rock. He's kind of like calcified in a way yeah. where uh, he's basically a force of nature. He's just kind of rage at this point. And uh, as the series goes on, we start to kind of maybe maybe crack away at that and see if uh, anything's left under the surface at all. Um, but that's one of the, the joys of having the, the ongoing series is being able to uh, have all this over-the-top uh, stuff with him falling from st- the stars and killing monsters with swords and all the craziness that goes along with Frankenstein with a sword, but also kind of uh, seeing how he responds to that as a person and with the people he meets. Like in issue two, he meets Larry, our wolfman, who might just be the last good person in this world, and him meeting Frank changes both of them uh, some for the better, some for the worse. It, it, it's been a lot of fun trying to get to explore that. Wow. So, yeah, it's, I mean, saying this, this is a, a Frankenstein barbarian post-apocalyptic comic, but mm-hmm. it's honestly about the human condition. I mean, it, you touched yeah. on a lot of things. I really like that. Now, all the stuff you described, is this in the first issue, or is this just back matter that... Uh, so, we do kind of explore in issue one, uh, how Frank came to be where he is. Okay. Uh, we've we've kind of set a, a bit of a precedent to where uh, each issue of Frankenstein is a little bit uh, westerny, a bit like Clint Eastwood. You know, guy mm-hmm. rides into town, solves a problem, and then leaves. Uh, although in Frank's case, it's usually causing a problem and then leaving. Uh, but throughout those kind of... And the first issue is very much that. He comes from space, fights some bad guys, saves a family, and then leaves. But uh, we get to explore the flashback to the end of Shelley's novel to show him going in the ice. And then we get to have him woken up into this world. And we get kind of a montage of the 200 years in between him waking up and getting shot into space in a, a nice quick like three-page montage. Uh, and and uh, throughout the rest of the series, we are going to be exploring more of that 200-year gap uh, 
through flashbacks. So issue two not only has the present day story of Frank meeting the Wolfman, but we get a flashback to uh, when he's kind of in his prime in this world with the the bride of Frankenstein at his side and uh, them kind of uh, being already well established in this world as like political powers almost and uh, how the world inevitably reacts to that and Frank gets shot into space. So we'll, we'll be, it's kind of a divided narrative throughout right. the first arc for sure. Wow. Uh, maybe we should tell the listeners the title of the, the book. <laughs> yeah, Frankenstein the Unconquered. <laughs> we, we've done this before. Um, you got us all excited. Um, now, before we, not trying to take away from this, but before we started recording, you and Rook were talking about the Kickstarter. I found that interesting. I think the listeners would like that too. Um, you're already funded, but yes. what you were talking about, it went better than the first one. Could you could you repeat word for word everything you told us? <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, the <clears throat> this campaign has been phenomenal. Uh, it's been a great response. We got funded in 72 hours, uh, which is our best campaign yet. Uh, and uh, I just mentioned offhandedly that it's great to see because our last campaign uh, it was for our other series, Megaton. It's an all-ages kind of sci-fi, kind of very anime series. Uh, that was the last campaign that we did before Frank Number 2. Okay. Uh, and that campaign, we just kind of launched at the wrong time. Uh, it was just just a series of poor, poor timing decisions, and uh, we kind of had to fight tooth and nail all the way up until the end to get that funded. Uh, whereas Frank has just been three days and we're funded. We've already hit like two stretch goals and we're working our way towards the third. Uh, the first Frankenstein campaign, which we launched earlier this year, uh, I believe we got that funded in maybe two and a half weeks. So the response to that was also uh, very good. It wasn't anywhere near what this campaign was, but, but Frank has been very uh, consistent these past two campaigns. Uh, people seem to really respond to it, and uh, it's it's really cool to see. Right. No, when you're talking about the bad timing, could you give examples of what that was? Yeah, that was right in uh, in the midst of uh, gas prices shooting through the roof, oh. groceries going up. Like, and there were a ton of Kickstarter campaigns that were drawing a lot of eyes. Like, just a lot of really good comics on Kickstarter. Right. Uh, not a, like it, we were just fighting for attention in, in a big C. Like we could feel a little bit of Kickstarter burnout going on. Uh, it, there was just a, a bit of, and of course it, it's just kind of tough to sell an all ages book on Kickstarter to begin with. Um, but we got it funded. Uh, issue three is about to come out of that book soon. Uh, and yeah, we're, we're expect we're launching issue four and five of that series in January too. So we, I, I don't anticipate us having those problems again because the other two campaigns we did with Megaton went really well. Right. Uh, it's just, it's just, it was just poor timing on this third one. But, I, but I've Frank never, is, I've never heard that. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I've heard of people doing kickstarters and not being able to fulfill all the promises mm-hmm. they made, which it makes sense. I could see that. Mm-hmm. But I've never heard that about um, the timing of the project. I understand I've never looked at Kickstarter, <laughs> never mm-hmm. had a project. But, but yeah, I, it's, it's self-publishing through Kickstarter is an entire beast unto itself. Right. You have to, you, you can't just make the comics. Like you have to do marketing. You've got to do the numbers in right. the in the back to to make sure you can uh, know what you can ask of people. It's pricing the tiers correctly. It's and and, and timing. Yeah. That makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. 
And I, I gotta say, uh, looking over your campaign, some of your some of your tiers, some of your pricing. I mean, just for for an example, you've got fifteen bucks physical catch up, which gives you the first and second issue physical copy and the digital copy. I mean, for fifteen bucks, mm-hmm. you just can't go wrong there. No. Yeah. Then, we, you start we're, looking at stuff, and I mean, for thirty bucks, the collector's tier. Uh, even at a hundred bucks, holy crap! The hundred bucks everything <laughs> package that you guys mm-hmm. have is nuts. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we were really trying to, especially we we've been taking something from every campaign we've done uh, up to this point. This is our fifth, I believe, uh, and we we try to make it a point on this campaign to really kind of try and bring our prices down on reward tiers. We really want to give everyone the chance to. Uh, you know, pledge what they, they feel comfortable with and, and give them a lot of value for, for that pledge. Um, a lot of Kickstarters just seem to ask a lot of their their backers uh, for a product that sometimes they might not even know what they're, they're getting up front. So we, we wanted to try and make it as affordable as possible and still give people uh, a big bang for the buck. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, and like I said, I mean... The, the the fifteen bucks physical catch up. I mean, you got you got everything right there. But just for a couple bucks more, you get you know variant copies. You get all mm-hmm. these different things. And I mean, but the hundred buck everything that I'm like looking at that one going, well, damn, we're talking yeah. variants. We're talking different <laughs> covers. We're talking stickers, auto yeah. design pieces. I mean, dang, guys! That's that's been a pretty popular tier. Like I, that one sold out in our because uh, for a lot of campaigns we do a seventy-two hour early bird special where uh, every just about every tier is about twenty percent off for the first three days, and we sold out of that everything tier during that time. Like it, people, it, people seem to be really responding to it. It's great to see. Well, I think all of your early bird stuff is just like gone. I mean, you yeah. know, like people mash the early bird buttons like, nah, yeah. my, my. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, have you ever done anything outside of Kickstarter um, publishing wise or has it always been the yeah. Kickstarter stuff? Um, the Kickstarter is where our, our two main series are happening right now. That's the main focus of publication. But, uh, Wells, my writing partner, and I, uh, we've been doing comics together for about five or six years now. Uh, we started off actually doing these uh, these little ash cans, these uh, yeah. zines. Uh, that's where, where Frankenstein first showed up, was in these zines. Yeah. Uh, we would write them, and then I would draw them, and we'd hand-staple them, take them to cons, and uh, just try and you know bulldoze our way through with the uh, naivete. But... Uh, we ended up at a convention where we uh, met an editor for Caliber Comics, yeah. and uh, he saw the ash cans and he was like, "Hey, these are pretty cool. I can't use this art though." And I was like, "Yeah, I know, I know." But uh, he got us in touch with a lot of really talented artists, and we were able to publish a horror anthology, Descent into Dread, through them. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, a lot of those ash cans got facelifts by some very talented artists. Uh, Frankenstein included, actually. Oh. So there's a lot of, uh, I think there's about four Frankenstein ash cans that we did total, and all four of them are in here. So first appearance of Frankenstein right there. Uh, yeah. And then we were able to, and after Caliber, we decided to launch oh. on Kickstarter. Uh, it's just, 
I won't say easier, but it uh, there's not a, a middleman you have to kind of uh, go through right. for Kickstarter. Like you can kind of just take the product you want to see and, and give it to everyone. But the you know the risk is that you might not get the funding and you might not get the book even made. So it. There, Megaton actually got picked up by a publisher after we started publishing through Kickstarter. Uh, so that'll be coming out through Scout next year, uh, the, the collected editions anyway. Yeah. Uh, and so Frankenstein is still uh, a Kickstarter exclusive book. Maybe that'll get picked up eventually. But uh, but right now, Kickstarter is the crowdfunding. That's the, the main way we're doing our publications right now. It's, it's really cool because we get to just kind of do what we want. And uh, people seem to actually like what we do. Yeah, is, uh, that's yeah. a plus. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's and a it's plus. funny you mentioned Scout. I think that's probably what the third or fourth person who's talked about Scout Comics and worked with Scout Comics that we've yeah. talked to recently. That's awesome. Yeah, they're a great publisher. Yeah, that's yeah. what we're hearing. We're hearing a lot of really good things. Yeah, about that. Um, mm-hmm. actually, they're down by four miles. They got affected by the the hurricane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you haven't read those? Yeah, they. They put out a message on, I saw it on Facebook, but they're still going, but they've had damage and they're slowing yeah. up. Um, Jeez. So, but um, how, how, do you have a plan on how long the Frankenstein Unconquerable series is going to go on? I mean, is it limited or is it going to go on yeah. forever like Conan the Barbarian? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I could write Frank forever. Uh, I think I might need a publisher for that one. But uh, as it stands, uh, we have 13 issues okay. written up. So we've got I've got first drafts of, of 13 issues of Frank, and that takes us through uh, two whole arcs with like a buffer in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the you know first arc is Revenge Quest, and then there's the turn, and then there's the second half of the series. Uh, where we go after that is anyone's guess. Uh, I think Frankenstein the Unconquered, uh, that uh, that adjective might get retired. But if we, we, we have some ideas about maybe going like cosmic with it right. after the end of the series and uh, taking Frank back into space. Uh, so Frankenstein may may have some more adventures after issue 13. But, uh, but right now we don't have any solid plans. Right. Yeah, well, it's, it sounds like it's. Oh, I'm sorry, Rook. It sounds like a finite series, and you just you could bring mm-hmm. it back for another series, which I, I like. Go ahead, Rook. Well, and that was a that was a question I had. Uh, Frank gets shot into space and mm-hmm. comes back. How the hell does he do that? I mean, you got. He, I assume this is being addressed in the book. Uh, it's the the best way I can describe it is a line from the book, which says, "You cannot kill a thing that has never lived." Frank's mm-hmm. immortal yet. Yeah, I I have a, I have full faith he could punch a supernova to death. Like Frank is just uh, he's he's a force of nature. Uh, it, it would take a lot to to kill this guy. I, he doesn't breathe. Vacuum of space isn't nothing. Like he killed all the stars and came back. He's he's ready for vengeance. Man, mm-hmm. nice, nice. I, I dig it. Uh, I want to talk about this one scene in the book. Uh, it looks like there's raiders <clears throat> where. Uh, they're attacking this family, and he rips off the wolf's head and <laughs> kills the like. He oh, yeah. kills the dude with the wolf's head. Oh yeah, he yeah. just yeah. bashes his hand through the back of the wolf's head, and then huh. takes the guy's face off with the head. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I, I would 
know where that where that idea came from. How was that conversation? Uh, <laughs> like, honestly, it's a great it, idea it, on how to kill a dude. <laughs> it it goes. It, it's about like most of mine and Wells's writing sessions because uh, we go like a draft at a time where uh, someone takes point on every series. Uh, he has Mechaton and I've got Frank, so uh, I've got kind of like final say on what goes on in Frank. Uh, and so I'll write the first draft and then I'll send it to Wells and then he'll do like a second draft and send it back. And then usually by draft three or four, we've got a, a pretty solid panel lock. Um, but that was just me like uh, jazz improving. Uh, I do that a lot with my action scenes is just improving. Uh, so I, I was like, Frank leaps over the, the wolf and punches through the back of its head and then uses it as a fist to take another dude's head. Like, it's right. just a bunch of improv, honestly. <laughs> That's awesome, though. I, I, I usually write based on, uh, like, the image. Uh, and, and so I'll have this really cool image in my head, and then I write to build to the image. Yeah. And then that's it's just a, a sequence of images, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that's got to be the most creative way I've <laughs> seen somebody do. I mean, that, 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 that was the scene in that part that I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's issue one. Yeah, yeah, that was that was from the like from the first Kickstarter I was able to find. Uh, and I'm looking at it, going, okay, all right, <laughs> these guys are these guys are demented. I like it. Yeah, and then you get like, uh, and then Mary Landro just pulls up this beautiful double page montage spread of him oh, just yeah. fighting witches and dragons and also gets shot into space down here like it's this book just goes crazy and doesn't stop it's it's so much fun yeah the the art on this book is absolutely fabulous talk talk about uh how you guys hooked up with your artist um what that interaction's like yeah mary is a 24 uh 24 year old canadian uh a lady who is sweet as can be uh, and uh, her Instagram is full of like Batman and Joker stuff, and uh, she's worked with Tom McFarland on some Spawn projects. Hmm. Uh, but she is like, you wouldn't expect this kind of art out of a woman like Mary. Like she's so sweet, but she's so excited every time we give her a script. Yeah. She's like, I never could draw this stuff. This is so cool. This is cool. Give me more. And she's so creative. We actually met her on the Descent into Dread anthology. We were trying to find some artists on Twitter, and uh, we really liked her, like, really heavy, dense, uh, cross-hatched kind of, like, mid-90s image style. Uh, and so she drew a story for us in, in the anthology. It wasn't Frank. It was uh, some sort of, like, dystopic uh, sci-fi story. But uh, we liked her style so much that we were like, oh, uh, if when we do Frank, she's the one. Like, we can't have anybody but Mary. It has to be Mary. And she's been on board. It's great. And... Uh, Dahlia Maha does our colors. Uh, her, like, almost die tone kind of, like, pop color. The neon horror mm. that it brings really makes Mary's uh, inks come alive. And, and then, of course, Nathan Kemp, our letterer, makes all of our all of our endless words look good. It's great. It's a great team. I am, I am so spoiled to work with great people. I was surprised at the size of the team when I saw the project. Um because usually it's just a couple of people doing these, which mm-hmm. you know is nice. I was surprised at the level of the work. Um, actually, and I, I know this maybe is terrible. I'm surprised it was a woman that drew them. I didn't realize that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. Uh, I, 
more than half the team are are great badass women. Uh, you know, you got Mary doing inks, you got Dahlia doing colors. Uh, Brenda Snellby uh, does all the design for the book, so that great the the great letterhead you got yes. there. Uh, and then you've got uh, well Heather Vaughn doing this cover. All of our main covers by Heather Vaughn, mm. uh, and uh, most of our variant covers are by by women. Uh, it it's really cool to to just work with great people, and uh, the the fact that they're women just uh, I don't know it. Not much more to say other than it's awesome. Oh, it doesn't make any difference, and I, it doesn't. Something I found out a lot of the comics. I'm quite a bit older than you guys. A lot of the comics I liked in the '70s uh, were done by by women, and I didn't realize yeah. that. Um, I mean, one so, of the best Daredevil runs of all time was by Anna Sinti. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I just it was a shock. Uh, what's it like writing the comics and no longer drawing them? Is that do you miss that? Is that different? Um, uh, well, I uh, I've been like making my own comics since I was probably eight, so I, I I just kind of wrote and drew what I what I could when I was a, a kid. But as I got older, I, I noticed that writing came a lot more easily to me, and so I started focusing more on the writing aspect. Uh, and it, it, writing is just so much fun. It's it's like I'm drawing in my head, but uh, I, I do really like the idea of the cartoonist who's able to just do the yeah. whole book by themselves. And uh, so I, I, I'm trying to kind of get back in the swing of things and, and drawing more. Uh, I, I've got a, a project that I'm working on outside of the collaboration where I'm, I'm trying to, to handle all the aspects of it. So uh, I, I do miss drawing. Uh, I'm just not very good at it. So, you know, it's just a lot of practice and, and getting uh, back on the horse. Uh, but writing is just as, as fulfilling uh, hmm. it's it's uh, I can get ideas out a lot faster uh, so that I, I don't feel like I'm kind of stuck spinning the wheels a, right. as much uh, but but there's nothing quite like uh, having the, the thing in front of you drawing panel by panel and right. uh, and getting it done the, the way that you see it in your head but oftentimes with the collaboration it always always comes back better than I had it in my head anyway so I if, if I was trying to draw Frankenstein there's there's no way it would be as good as, as Mary's it would we would not have gotten funded I'll tell you that right now <laughs> um, well the stuff that you showed I, I was actually kind of impressed with your your small press comics um, oh, well thank you <laughs> and nobody thinks they're very good I, I talk with this all the time um, you know I was really surprised some some creators that I just think you know are up in heaven, you know, they're so incredible, mm -hmm. and when you listen to them talk, wait a minute, honestly, really, um, <laughs> nobody thinks that, but I, that's what I was curious about, one difference I've seen, I like, it, writer artists have always been my favorite, mm -hmm. but there are a lot of artists that started writing their own stuff that isn't really so good, the artwork is nice, mm -hmm. they know how to tell a story, but They don't. They don't have the insights or the thinking or even the ideas of a story. You know, some mm -hmm. of them do. Uh, many do not. Um, I was kind of surprised when we started talking right off the bat. I said, "Well, well there's a lot to this one." And I was already impressed <laughs> with it, but talking to you, 
it's got me really interested in this. But yeah, don't stop drawings. Still work on those. Yeah. But I was just curious what that would be like if you're used to doing the projects and then all of a sudden you're passing it off. It must be a different mm -hmm. set of a skill set of muscles, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's just stretching different muscles. My writer's muscles are. Uh, much more toned than my my drawing ones. The my my drawing needs a lot of work, but it's uh, I don't know. I have so much fun writing that uh, right. a lot of times it it makes it, it it's fine. I'm, I'm I am perfectly content writing. It's just I, I also I like to put pencil to paper every now and again. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Write writing. It's I I, I don't know the. Being able to write, you can just you can create your own world and everything. And then mm -hmm. when you sit down to try and draw it, you're like, "This is not working the way I want it to." Yeah, <laughs> it can frustrate you, can it? Yeah, yeah. It, it can. It can. Uh, that's why I'm uh, I'm a little determined to try and learn how to draw because uh, it, if if I can't get these stories drawn, I may as well go write prose. And I'm not patient enough to write prose, man. Pro, that that's a whole different set of muscles that I that have atrophied. So I, there's no way I could I could be doing prose. Have you written prose in the past? Yeah, I uh, I went to school for writing, and oh. uh, it, that's all exclusively prose. Uh, I've I've written quite a few short stories, hmm. um, and uh, screen some screenplays and things like that. Uh, but the majority, like ninety percent of all the writing I've done is comics. Right. Uh, prose. Wells actually has like a novel under his belt and uh, a few short stories like that. He's much more versed in prose. He's he's like a literature kid, literature head, and I'm a, I'm a comics guy. Uh, so, you know, prose is really cool, and being able to craft a scene with words alone is something that takes a lot of patience, mm -hmm. and that's just something I don't have a lot of. Uh, comics have ruined my attention span, so I can barely read a novel anymore, much less write one. Uh, so it's uh, I would have to to really work on on that to make sure my prose is where I would want it to be. But uh, actually, um, in the back of our Frankenstein comic, I've, I've actually been practicing that prose because we have a prose short story in the oh, back okay. of our Frankenstein comic, uh, Scrolls of the Vanquished. We wanted to kind of harken back to that. Um, the pulp roots of like Conan the Barbarian yeah. and uh, kind of put Frank, it's set in that 200 years in between the wake up and the exile uh, where Frank's kind of on top of the world. And we're so in little like four page chunks in the back of each issue, we're telling a prose short story. And uh, so I got, I got to flex my, my prose muscles a little bit in the back of, of Frankenstein there. Uh, so it, it's, it's fun. I, I, I like writing in just about every sense, but uh, comics are the passion. Comics is where the, the heart is. So that, that's, where, uh, that's where most of the talent is. Right. Now, that's something I want to ask. Um, what... See, I, I need some of your training to express my thoughts <laughs> here. Um, when you're writing for comics, how, how are you able to convey all the information you want the artist to show? I mean, because we're talking about prose. Prose, you're basically painting a picture of words. Mm -hmm. In comics, I imagine you're not wanting to say too much in it, you know, but how, how yeah. can you express what you want to say to the artist? Um, it really depends on who you're collaborating with. Um, Wells and I work in full script, so mm -hmm. we break it down panel by panel on each page. Uh, 
But, uh, I mean, if you're working with an artist that you trust, you can just give them, like, uh, uh, this happens on this page, and then you fill it out panel by panel. Like, hmm. uh, we always tell uh, whoever we're working with that, like, these panels, like, we're doing this kind of for our benefit so that, like, our he- in our head, we can lay it out and make sense. But if you have a better way of laying this out, or if you need to take a panel out to make it make sense or add one, like, go for it. You know what looks best on the page. We're just we're just the guys putting words in mouths, honestly. Uh, so we, we really trust our artists to kind of build each page to, to right. what's the most visually interesting. Uh, but when we're writing a script, it, we try and make it as uh, utilitarian as possible. You can't get prosaic with a, a comic script unless you know you're Alan Moore and you can get away with it, I guess. Um, but I, I try and just like as sparse as possible hmm. with uh, if there are key elements, you know, you bring them out, but uh, it's uh, it's basically just blocking the scene. Like Frank goes and picks up something or he turns and he's, he's not looking happy or, or something. It's a little more involved than that, but right. it, it, we, we try and keep it. We, we try not to overload each panel with a lot of detail because we want, we want our artists to kind of bring their own ideas of the scene to right. the page. Uh, we, if, if they think the uh, the grimace would work better in panel two than panel four, then then put the grimace there. Uh, it's uh, it, it requires a level of trust, uh, right, right. but but it's uh, I don't know. I, I have a ton of fun writing scripts. It, it just flows super easily, which is why prose is a little difficult because like I can just write Frank goes here, Frank does this. Frank cuts this guy's head off, and I don't have to fill in the gaps in between. I just give the highlights. We're just talking in spurts. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, with everybody we've talked to, the creative teams that give leeway to their artists, you know, like, Mm -hmm. this is the concept, this is what I want to convey on this page with these panels, go for it, you know. Mm -hmm. I think those are the guys that really have the best books, um, you know. Um, we've all heard the stories over the years of the of the big companies where the artist, where the writers, like, no, it has to be this way. And mm-hmm. We all know what that product looks like. <laughs> That's why we're all turned to Kickstarter for really great stories like this. You know? Yes. Um, let's face it the the comic book community is getting tired of the cookie cutter stuff that's out there from the mm-hmm. big companies. That's why it's great talking to creators like you where it's, you know, this is a collaborative effort and I love that. I love hearing stuff like that. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, what's well, what's the point of comics if you're not gonna collaborate? Like yeah, you can you can have the out, outside of the the cartoonists who who can do it all by themselves. Like it's a collaborative effort. Like you you need to bring as many diverse voices to the project as possible to get the best product possible. And uh, Frank would not exist without the talented people behind it. Like it would still just be a bunch of ash cans that I drew if it wasn't for for this team. And uh, it's great to see. Yeah. Yeah. I- you know, it's funny you mentioned the ash cans because I absolutely love and adore ash cans. I gotta ask, <laughs> is there any chance in the future that some of those ash cans will be rebirthed and put into some of the characters? Uh, so funny you say that. Uh, we just hit our uh, our second stretch goal, uh, and that got the first two Frank ash cans. Everyone's getting digital copies of of those. 
uh, and we also that also unlocks um, what was it? oh yeah a new sticker. We we unlocked a new sticker that uh, you can add to your purchase as well. Uh, but yes, those so uh, those first two ash cans are uh, going to hit your digital inbox once uh, once the campaign's all finalized. Nice. Nice. It, you know. Now the other two, yeah, we got to save the other two for later campaigns. You know, <laughs> <laughs> of course. They, you know, so uh, the the sticker that you were talking about, um, um, uh, is that the 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 upper torso of Frank? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I saw that sticker, Don. This is the sticker that he's talking about. This. Oh, well, oh I, I saw that. <laughs> I, I did see that when yeah, I was I'm looking. Trying to show it on camera. I know this is great for audio. Uh, <laughs> It'll be on the blog. This, you know, you talked about your color artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, you yeah. know, uh, you used a, you used the phrase neon horror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what a great phrase for the color, <laughs> the look of this. Uh, cause, yeah. 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 When when I heard you say that, I'm like, yes, that is that is what such a great phrase because the the pop and the and the look of that, it's like mm-hmm. you can tell this is like. Dead, decayed skin, but it's still alive. It's vibrant yeah. and um, that, like absolutely <clears throat> coloring in this thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was this Dolly is a gem. Was this planned to have that um, almost kind of in a way like cosmicy look to his to his flesh tone, or, or was this uh, something that she mm, brought to the table for you guys? No, well, I'm colorblind, so I don't I don't write in color. <laughs> like I, it's, I I can't visualize that very well. Um, so it, it was mostly a conversation between Mary and Dahlia about uh, what colors would fit the inks best. They actually uh, had a conversation, and uh, it, there was it was actually a bit of a back and forth because we, they were having trouble finding what what worked best, um, but. Uh, Dahlia just brought it like yeah. that that kind of like you said that kind of cosmic decay that's that makes up Frank's skin uh, it I, don't, I, I can't see it any other way now yeah yeah, yeah it, it, you know it, we've seen Frank done so many different times by so mm-hmm. many different artists and movie studios and you know th- this is something the look of this Frank is definitely something different and it's a very cool look. Um, I got to ask because I'm, I'm, as I'm looking at the concept and, and the idea, I'm thinking, man, Hollywood screwed up. How would nobody in Hollywood <laughs> think about doing some of this stuff? Is, has anybody talked to you guys about doing, you know, any kind of TV or, or live actions or anything? Not yet. Not yet, uh, you know. But you know, if this campaign keeps popping off, who knows? Yeah. We would love to. We'd love to give you a, a HBO Max Frankenstein the Uncocker. That'd be pretty cool. But uh, <laughs> you know, call me. I think that's the only place that could fit. With, with yeah. the wolf head and the and yeah. the decapitation. <laughs> hey guys, this is just Game of Thrones, but cooler. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right. yeah. Let's not talk about the new Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, so, in the pro stuff at the end of the books, that's where you're talking about the 200 years between him waking up and getting shot out into space. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that, and that's in flashback sequences in the book and the panels and stuff as well. 
So uh, it's it's more or less a like an adventure. So like there, that two hundred year gap. There's a lot. Like we could do a whole series set in that two hundred year gap. Um, the the flashbacks that we're going to be exploring are kind of the uh, the immediate lead up to his exile into space. So you know it, it might be like a year's worth of time between when the flashbacks start and him getting shot into space. Uh, that pro story, I mean. That's before all of that. Like, we don't have a set timeline of, of events or anything, but that, that prose piece happens, like, it could it could be a hundred years before he got shot into space. I, I don't know. But uh, it's it's during that kind of golden age of him kind of just being on top of the world and just the, the crazy adventures. Like, like, think of any, like, Roy Thomas Conan book and then, like, add metal music to it. And uh, th- that's the 200-year gap, essentially. Hmm. Yeah, that, and, and I'm really interested in the way that you, you made the decision to do wake up 200 years, coming back, this is where we launch at. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like you guys could have easily started with the wake up and him dealing with the world and everything around it, but you made that choice to do a 200-year gap so there's a lot of story you have available uh, yeah. beyond what you're already writing. So that's that's really yeah. The uh, I mean the the beauty of Frankenstein is that like sh- sure he's immortal why not like there, there's a big timeline to play with and we kind of get to just make up whatever rules we want about the world and and the timeline and as long as we don't end up contradicting ourselves like it, it's all pretty uh, pretty kosher. But the idea of him like just coming back from space to be the opener like that's been there since the ash can we just wanted like a big explosive opening of him like riding a star down to earth and then coming out of the crater like that's a hell of an opening and uh and and then i was like okay well why is he in space like then i had to work backwards from the the entrance and and that's kind of where it that's just how i write i just go from this i go from the scene i'm like okay how how did he get here Okay, how did he get to this big cool thing? How did he get to this cool thing? And then you just fill in the gaps as you go. Hmm. That, that was something I was wanting to ask, and Root kind of led into it. Could somebody pick up the second issue, not ever reading the first issue, and they would understand where they're at? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, each issue builds towards like the, the overall arc, the overall yeah. story. Um, but... We, we kind of designed each issue as like a, a done-in-one kind of story. Right. Uh, it, it's it's very much the, the Western, like, you know, you write in, solve the problem, write out. That, like, you could, if, if Frankenstein was just this one issue, like, I, I think that would be satisfactory enough because it tells one complete story. Uh, and same with issue two. It could it could just yeah. be its own own thing. Like the, yeah, there's stuff that carries over from one to two to three to four and all of that. Right. But uh, and and if you're reading all of them, you're keeping up, then then that's great. You're going to get more out of it. But if you just checked into issue number two to check out the Wolfman fight, right. uh, it's pretty awesome. And you get a, a cool flashback story to see the bride. And uh, there's. Yeah, so th- there's a continuity there, but it's right. not so strict that like it's a to be continued, and yet yeah, you're coming in right. on a cliffhanger or something. Uh, when a lot of times when I'd find comics, especially when I was a kid, but even to this day, I don't always find them when it starts. I, you know, I find the later mm-hmm. issue four, five, six, um, 
231, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, to me, that's art when you pick it up. And you may not know all the stuff that went on, but it makes you want to know more. And um, Yeah. Um, most of my collection, especially as a kid, uh, when I get Marvel comics, I... I didn't know that Captain America was frozen on ice for 20 years after World War II. I didn't know mm -hmm. he had superpowers. I thought he was like Batman. Didn't yeah. matter. I loved him. And as time went on, I think I was in 8th grade when one of my best friends came to Do you know how Captain America became Captain America? No. <laughs> and his little sister had a, a Scholastic magazine called Dynamite. And it had, uh, you know, I think, two, two pages in it. And it told us... To, what? That's incredible! <laughs> but to me, that's an art. You know, when you find yeah. a, a random issue somewhere, and then you start going back and finding the other issues. So, I, when we're talking, it sounded to me like if I picked up issue 11 of, of Frankenstein Unconquerable, I'll be okay, and I'll, I'll have 10 more issues to find, in, you know, before mm -hmm. the new ones come out. Um, do you have plans to collect these when they're finished? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it may not be for a bit, um, especially if, if Frank remains kind of Kickstarter exclusive. Um, but uh, there, once we get to probably the end of the, uh, the first arc, uh, future campaigns will have uh, like the collection. Well, we might we might do a Kickstarter for the collection and then offer the collection in all future Kickstarters, and uh, then probably collect you know arc two or maybe the whole series. Uh, that's kind of a that's kind of a I hope we get picked up by a publisher kind of question because that's what they're doing with uh, with our other book Megaton mm -hmm. uh, Scouts publishing the collected editions so we still have to fund mm -hmm. all the individuals through Kickstarter but they're going to pick up the, the collecteds and get them in comic shops and things yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah Frank will be collected inevitably it's just not something that's really on the horizon at the moment it, yeah and, it makes uh, sense yeah it makes sense mm -hmm. um, but to have like a huge like artist edition like complete tone that would be pretty I, I would love that I like those things the problem is when I, I I have a couple of those at home but I always find I go read the single issues instead even though they're nice packages <laughs> they're big it's just that I don't know you get tired of carrying around this giant medieval looking yeah. you know size and um I don't know I yeah. I have they're great some. on the shelf they're a little hard to read <laughs> Yeah, shelf porn. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, yeah, but they're they're also the ones that you will allow other people to read. It's like, yeah, no, no, no. yeah, I can read my single issues. Well, you can't read my single issues. To me, that's the plus because if you're telling somebody, I had a good friend of mine that um, when the Watchmen movie came out, he came and asked if I had the comics, and he was really reluctant. I see, yeah, I got them, and um. I, so what I, I did was I brought one issue at a time in, and he was terrified to read them. I appreciate that, but I said, listen, I, I know they're, but just read them. If something happens, that's okay, no problem. And when he finished it, you know, give it back, I'd bring the next issue. Well, I ended up leaving the company. I, I no longer have Watchmen number, issue number four. Uh, mm. which, I mean, I'll, I know him. I'll get it back someday. Um, <laughs> but... If I had the trade, it's so much easier to lend the trade off to somebody. Mm -hmm. Here you go, and they read the whole thing. Whereas, sometimes you find 
there's a series that you, you think you're interested in, you find one issue, and all you think is, good God, how am I going to find all the other ones? Right. Well, if it's in trade, hey, one and done. You got it? Perfect. Not a problem. <laughs> the miracles of modern publishing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Tell me, what got you into comic books? You were talking yes. about you've been doing comic books since you were a kid. What what drew you to it? What, where did you start at? Uh, yeah, that was, uh, it was cartoons. I was, uh, I was born in 92, so, like, I was right in the swell of, like, X-Men, Batman, Spider-Man, the animated series, uh, Justice League, all that stuff. Uh, and I just particularly loved, uh, Spider-Man, and so I, every, anything about Spider-Man, I was, I was all on board. Uh, but then I was eight, and we were in a grocery store, and, uh, I'm convinced I was the last human being to ever do this, but I saw an issue of Spider-Man on a spinner rack, and I was like, done, awesome. I, I didn't even know what, this, I was like, comic books? You mean that I can get Spider-Man like all the time now? I don't have to wait for him to show up on TV. And uh, great John Romita Jr. cover, and uh, I was hooked, just hooked. And then I got like a big Spider-Man encyclopedia, so it had like all the, the issues and stuff in it, first appearances and all the characters. I, and uh, I never looked back, and uh, I'm like, it's Wednesday now. I still haven't mentioned the comic shop yet, but <laughs> I've been I've been obsessed with comics ever since. That, that's all I've ever wanted to do. Okay, that's if you go back thirty five years, that's my story as well. Um, yeah. Older, older. <laughs> all of us kids knew the the Adventures of Superman, the George Reeves show. Mm -hmm. We knew that, and then I was four when the Adam West show came out, and um, and like I said, they filmation had a. A Superman cartoon, later a Batman cartoon, mm -hmm. and on that they had Green Lantern, Hawkman, um, Teen Titans, The Flash, they were all on there. Um, that was my introduction to them, and then I started, I think I was six when that was happening, and I was, I always had comics, but they were always um, Harvey comics, Casper, Hot Stuff, oh, yeah, Richie yeah. Rich, and, um, and scary, for some bizarre reason, horror comics from DC and stuff. I, I like oh, those too. Oh, the good stuff. But, um, I think I was nine when I started actually buying, yeah, I was buying them and saving them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it I was buying remembering the comics, or the cartoons I saw in the, the late 60s. Um, and those really awful Marvel cartoons where they took the actual, <laughs> um, they took the Kirby panels, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> kind of moved around. I remember those too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, it's the same story. That's nice to hear. Um, what comics are you currently reading now? Oh, a few. Um, I mean, superheroes are my bread and butter. Like, yeah. I'll, compl I'll complain about the big two, but I'll still buy Justice League every month. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. Uh, one of the best books on the stands right now is Do a Powerbomb from Image Comics, uh, Daniel Warren Johnson. Uh, he's the cartoonist on that book. Uh, it's like, it's interdimensional wrestling, but it's makes me cry. <laughs> like, uh, Daniel Warren Johnson is uh, such a, an incredible creator. It did uh, Extremity, Murder Falcon, uh, Wonder Woman Dead Earth, Beta Ray Bill. Uh, he's, he's been doing consistently fantastic work for like the past six years hmm. uh, and do a powerbomb highly recommend that book the art is so kinetic so energetic the story is so full of heart 
uh, and that is uh, always one of the the best things on the pull list every month. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Mm. Where can everybody find? You? Can people find this stuff outside of Kickstarter after the Kickstarter yeah. is over? Uh, Absolutely. Um, so yeah, right now Frankenstein. Uh, the Unconquered number one and two is running on Kickstarter. Uh, we still have like a little less than two weeks left in the campaign, so feel free to come by and grab whatever you'd like. Um, but outside of the campaign, uh, Wells has a Ko-Fi site, uh, K-O-F-I, where you can buy all of our previous issues, uh, either digitally or, or physically. Uh, so Frankenstein number one is available there, and Frankenstein two will be once it's complete. Uh, all the issues of Mechaton, Descent into Dread, all that stuff is is available through the Ko-Fi. Hmm. Um, but you can find me uh, on any social media that matters at Dalton K. Shannon. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's about the, the breadth of the interwebs. Oh. Wow. Nice. Wow. So, as far as the Kickstarter goes, you, you're... You're already funded. You're you're still building to stretch goals. Do you have a timeline for issue three? Can we look forward yeah. to seeing that? Yes, uh, it's going. Issue three will probably launch sometime next year. Uh, actually, issue three and four. We're going to start doubling up issues uh, for each campaign, so we can uh, try and get more Frank Two guys as fast as possible. Um, so we're looking at either uh, spring or summer of next year. For Frank number three and four, um, we, we're going to we're going to launch Megaton number four and five in January, and uh, we're thinking about maybe introducing the third project sometime next year. Uh, but we uh, yeah expect more Frankenstein next year for sure. Now, can I ask you because um, that's something I don't see a lot on Kickstarter uh, doubling up on the issues. Uh, mm-hmm. What what made you guys give that make that decision uh, to do three and four at the same time uh, for the same Kickstarter? Uh, mostly uh, impatience. Uh, <laughs> it, the the idea of like a thirteen issue series taking like six years to to finalize is just like oh boy like maybe I want to do other projects or or like it, you know, we we want to we want to finish the story we want to get it to people and uh the kickstarter model uh especially the way we're doing it where we're you know alternating campaigns we're not just doing frank one and then frank two and three like we have other series that we want to do uh it it just made more sense to start doubling up uh because we uh it's a little infeasible to just throw up the entire first arc of like six issues like that's a huge goal to try and meet that's a lot to ask of people, especially on like an untested kind of project. So uh, now that we've done issue one and two, we're going to start doubling up for future campaigns. And uh, I mean, maybe if the response continues to just grow and grow and grow and grow, uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll think about doing the second arc in one big go. But uh, we're really going to have to play it by ear and, and see. But but for sure, for sure, at least doubling up issues. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's an interesting concept that I'm not seeing people do. So mm-hmm. that, that's yeah. really cool. Uh, and yeah, I, that is one of the one, my one frustration with backing Kickstarter is it's like this is such a cool book, 
I gotta wait six months for the next one. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's crowdfunding for you. Yeah, well, kudos to you guys on that idea. I really, I yeah. really dig that idea. That is a, that is a cool one. So. Yeah, we're excited for it. Usually, you see either like completed graphic novels with like yeah. five or six issues worth of material, or you see single issues. We don't we don't see a whole lot of threes and fours and and fives and sixes and things. So, but we're excited to, to test the waters and see how it goes. Yeah, cool. I, I think. I, uh, I mean, I mean, hell, you, you guys got funded in seventy-two hours. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you got the audience for it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, man, pleasure to talk to you. Um, Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm jumping on Kickstarter as soon as we get off this, and hell yeah, uh, I'm backing it. I love it. So, uh, you know, future projects, hop on hang out with yeah. us yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah uh, love to come back on I had a blast guys thank you so much oh anytime you can stick around a little bit <laughs> alright um, anyone listening we use fake comic book covers for the Facebook page and the Facebook group um, we can't pay you for them they're yours to own because we have no money but if you'll allow us to we'll put it to the cover gallery of the blog a lot of people enjoy these and as we said earlier nobody thinks they're any good i always hear people when i do get these you may not want to use them i've loved every one of them they're thrilled to get and people really enjoy them uh... if you're any kind of recording artist singer musician um, performance artist we're always we have a music break unless we have a, a guest like tonight uh, we're always looking for stuff, and Rook is always complaining because I keep playing the same artist over and over and over and over again. Anyway, um, be a bud, send something in. Also, we have a t-shirt, two different designs. It's not to make us rich, it's just to help us with the hosting fees. It's on the sidebar of the blog. Listen to the show, wear the shirt. You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click, click on, on the Cyclops. True Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.